You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's Wednesday, February 12th, 2020, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, and I'm joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Paul, good to talk to you again. Uh, pitchers and catchers have reported. Yeah, it's uh, time to, it's go time. Uh, I'm sure they're, uh, they reported uh, Tuesday. They're getting their physicals today, I'm sure, having their one-on-ones with uh, Terry Francona in the front office. and. Uh, you know, Thursday they hit the field, so uh, it's that time of year again, Joe. And and you're getting close. Uh, your your bags are packed. You're ready to head out there uh, yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll be leaving uh, Sunday, so uh, you know, just before the first full squad workout, and uh, you know, it's coming fast too because this this spring it seems like it's kind of you know on a kind of a fast track because you know the first game is the twenty second. They break camp, uh, you know, the first regular season game is March 26th. So, uh, you know, the earliest start ever to the season. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to be uh, uh, not an abbreviated uh, spring training, but it's just going to be uh, in the fast lane. Right. We're 43 days away from opening day. Uh, I, I can't even believe that. But, uh, yeah, it, it does feel like things have, have come really quickly, you know, since the holidays. Uh, you know, things are arriving real quick. It's almost like, uh, you know, those years where the, the World Baseball Classic, where everything's moved up a little earlier. It just, just sort of feels that way to me. But, no, I, I get the sense you're, you're feeling there. Uh, the, uh, the big thing we're looking forward to, I guess, uh, is, is this crowded outfield, uh, the, the big spring training battles that we're going to see. Uh, let, let's just take a second here and preview a couple of those. What we expect to see uh, – out of spring training, when the position players arrive, when this full squad gets together and, and they get down to the business of deciding who's going to be on that 26-man roster. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really going to be interesting in the outfield. You know, we've talked about it before. They've got nine guys on the, uh, on the 40-man roster, nine outfielders. And, uh, you know, as, as Francona said at Tribe Fest, uh, a lot will depend on, you know, just how much uh, – you know, uh, uh, Fran Mill Reyes can play out there. Is he going to play left? Is he, he's going to get tested in left. He's going to get tested in right. You know, if he can play, if he's an, uh, you know, an, an everyday guy maybe or a semi-regular, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, shakes out the rest of the field as well. You've got Greg Allen, Jake Bowers, Delino DeShields, Daniel Johnson, Jordan Luplo, Oscar Mercado, 
Uh, Tyler Naquin's on the on the shelf with the uh, with with the knee, but he's recovering nicely. Uh, Framil Reyes, like you said, Bradley Zimmer, and uh, a few of the uh, the non roster uh, invitees uh, like Connor Maribel and and um, uh, the, the kid from the kid from Mayfield. Uh, yeah, uh, Longo. Uh, Mitch Longo, Mitch Longo, uh, you know, those guys are also sort of there in the mix, maybe not necessarily for, for spots on the team, but just to, yeah, they're, there, they're there just to get it, you know, show, show the big league staff what they can do. Right. But you know, if you've got Oscar Mercado and Delano to shields, do you, do you need two right-handed hitting center fielders? Uh, you've got uh, Jordan, Jordan Luplo, uh, who's, you know, a candidate for a platoon. Is it uh, Luplo and Bowers maybe in left, and and Reyes and somebody else maybe in right? What's yeah, where do, where do I, you I see think, things shaking out there? You know, I just got the impression that they're you know they're going to play Mercado all over the place, you mm-hmm. know, in th- at the three different positions, and you know, just from you know reading between the lines, it sounds like you know maybe the Shields is going to see most of the time in center field, but you know, as we saw last year, Mercado had he struggled in left field. Uh, you know, he had the yips out there. So, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm sure he's, you know, we've seen he's a good enough outfielder that I think uh, if he plays more out there, he'll be fine. I don't know how he'll handle that, you know, b- bouncing around. But, you know, basically that's what he did last year, except, you know, after uh, Leonis Martin was, uh, you know, was uh, dropped from the roster, he, he became the everyday center fielder, basically. Right, and and perhaps the best center fielder out of all of them is Bradley Zimmer, and and we haven't seen him in more than a year. Yeah, and you know I think uh, you know Zimmer is going to have to have a great camp to make the spring, make the roster. I think you know Francona basically said that at the exit meeting last year. Uh, you know when he didn't go to winter ball, uh, you know he said you know they, they gave him the, they understood it, but they they also with the caveat the caveat that. Uh, you know, remember if you don't if you don't get some, the at bats you need, you you might have to get them at the start of this season at AAA. So, you know, we, we've got to see just how he holds up under a full spring, how that shoulder reacts, and uh, how he performs. He's going to have to have a big spring. Does Does Greg Allen become like sort of the forgotten man in all of this? I mean, this is a kid who has has had really good springs in the past. Uh, in last spring, he he hit throughout spring and, and you know did a lot. Made made the team uh, coming out of camp, and at times he showed stretches. He showed flashes of of being a guy who could could handle the sort of almost like an everyday role. But it really his makeup and the way that he he sort of you know presents himself is is more like one of those twenty sixth man or you know the the fourth guy in an outfield. Yeah, you know, he's a switch hitter. He can run. He can play great defense, you know, in center field, left field. We've seen him, you know, make great catches out there. Uh, you know, he opened – he made the opening day roster last year, but it was as a utility outfielder, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think he was miscast in that role. He really struggled in that role. And, uh, you know, the, the big thing with him, can he hit left-handed pitching? Can he hit – you know, can – can you know, he hit like uh, like 186 against lefties last year. I mean, I, I know he didn't get a lot of consistent playing time, but, uh, you know, he's, I think if he can improve against lefties, he's got a chance. He's, got, he's also, uh, you know, he's got an option left. So he right. could be one of those guys riding the shuttle. Yeah, uh, actually, all of these guys on the list have, have options left. So that's, that's one of the things that makes this, uh, you know, a little less challenging uh, 
uh, is Allen, Bowers, uh, and DeShields all have one option, uh, as well as, I, I, I believe, Luplo, Mercado, two, right? Naquin, even, even Reyes has an option, uh, has two options remaining. So, you know, they're, 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 stay, I, I, and I think, who's this? Uh, Daniel Johnson hasn't even made his debut, so he's got all three option years. You know, they don't even have to put him on the roster. Uh, Daniel Johnson, a guy who who impressed throughout the season of the minors last year, uh, made the All-Star Futures game, uh, you know, had a, had a strong season. Uh, can he sneak into a spot here, uh, depending? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, we kind of saw the blueprint with Mercado last year. I mean, I know you wrote about it, Joe. I mean, he had such a great spring. But, you know, they still he still didn't make the club, and he could have made the club. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they didn't want to bring him up uh, in Cleveland with the, with the bad weather in April. You know, they, they didn't want to get him buried right away. So he goes to uh, Columbus, has a great start, and he gets brought up here and uh, never looks back. You know, he hits the ground running. So uh, I think that, you know, probably in the back of their minds, they're thinking about the same thing uh, with Daniel Johnson, even though – you know, it's, it's weird, you know, this for years, this lineup has been predominantly uh, left-handed. Right. And, and now it's kind of with all the switch hitters and, the, you know, the right-handers with Reyes, they're more, they've got a, a, a little better balance, but there's not all just pure lefties in there. Well, you, you've got an entirely switch hitting infield, so I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, right. It sort of balances things out. You can be whatever you want in the outfield as long as you got four switch hitters in the infield. Right. Uh, but yeah, you talk about that blueprint with Johnson and and and, and sort of Mercado. Uh, last year, of course, you had Leonis Martin, and you kind of—I think they kind of knew if if Martin struggled or didn't work out that they were going to cut him loose and 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 they could bring Mercado up and, and just give him the the chance there. Uh, there. There's really not that opportunity with sort of a veteran, you know, guy on a one-year deal here uh, in in Cleveland uh, yet. I guess is the the operative word there as we're finding out, uh, you know, the Indians are close to bringing in Domingo Santana, if that's, a, if that's something we need to, uh, to mention yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm wondering if they're putting together an offensive line or, a, or you know, a kind of a stable of tight ends with uh, Reyes and uh, Domingo Santana or what. But hopefully, Joe, if they sign Domingo and uh, big guy, you know, 6'5 guy, another 6'5 mm-hmm. guy, like 220, 230, a big power hitter, big strikeouts. Uh, he made 12 errors in the, in the, with Seattle in the outfield last year. So hopefully they're not playing Re- planning to play Reyes and Santana in that same outfield. Oh Lord, uh, yeah. The, the Indians seem to have uh, are, are appearing to, to corner the market on uh, switch hitting Dominican infielders and six foot five Dominican outfielders. Uh, <laughs> that's that's this is what uh, they, they fit the profile one or the other at the Dominican Academy down there, uh, and and. Uh, you know, Reyes talked about, you know, his workouts and, and, and whatnot down there. Uh, one of the funnier stories, I think, uh, I, I guess his his car or his truck that he has down there, Fran Mill, uh, has down in the Dominican is like this pimped out, like, like souped up four by four truck that, that he drives around and, and blasts music and like the, the kids follow him around like he's the Pied Piper uh, down in the down there. I, I guess that's, that's what I heard was the, uh, the story about his his ride. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's a big guy. He needs a big car. He needs a, a big truck that he rides in. And, 
I yeah, guess. he said what he drives ninety minutes a day. Every, yeah, he drove, he drove ninety minutes a day uh, to the to the Indians uh, complex in the Dominican. The, his uh, uh, his hometown is Palenque, Palenque in the Dominican Republic. Yeah, it's, uh, about ninety minutes from wherever the uh, the Indians facility is down there. So yeah, uh, hour and a half drive each way. But uh, I guess he's got a he's got a cruise in comfort if he's uh, if he's taking this uh, this giant truck of his. Uh, all right, uh, you know, moving on, we, we, we did talk about uh, Domingo Santana. What's the holdup there uh, for the Indians announcing that deal? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, from, from what I, everything I heard, everything is still on track. I think he's just got to take his physical right now. They got to work out, you know, maybe the details of the contract. I think it's a, it's a one-year deal uh, for around one, between one and 1.5 million. And uh, I, I would think either he's got to go out to Arizona, the good year to take that physical, or come to Cleveland. And maybe, you know, they're still, uh, you know, negotiating, nav- trying to navigate their way through that. All right. Hey, one of the ways that, uh, you know, you'll know about and uh, our, our fans and our, our, our readers will know about uh, when we do, when the Indians do sign uh, Domingo Santana. Uh, Paul will share whatever information he gets about it on Project Text, which is our uh, our direct way for uh, for Paul to communicate with some of our subscribers. Paul, why don't you you know uh, take a second here and, and tell folks what they can expect when they when they register and sign up for Project Text? Yeah, Joe, it's uh, you know a monthly fee, four bucks, uh, and I will be sending out texts uh, to to all the subscribers. You know, before, you know, before it'll have breaking news in it, it'll have my observations in it. And hopefully, you know, it'll be uh, kind of like the tip of the spear. It'll be out there before you're, you're reading about it in the Plain Dealer or, or on at Cleveland.com. And uh, just give you a little heads up and maybe, you know, a, a little uh, kind of a heads up on what might be coming down the road. And it's been it's been fun, Joe. It's uh it's kind of picking up steam now with the season just around the corner. And, and they can text you back, right? It's a two-way communication type thing. Like they, you can get messages from, uh, directly from the readers, right? Yeah, I get, I get messages, you know, I get reaction from the readers. I'll, you know, if they ask me a question, I'll answer it. I'll try to, you know, I'll, you know, I'll see, you know, sometimes I agree with them. Sometimes I don't agree with them, but it's fun. It's like having a conversation. And, uh, you know, if they're lucky, just like last year, maybe you get a, a couple of scintillating uh, weather reports from Goodyear, Arizona, uh, as the uh, as the rains roll in and the uh, the cold weather and all that uh, that you had last year. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, did, did you pack any differently this year when you're getting ready to head to uh, yeah. head head to the airport? Are you, are you planning on doing that? No, I always remember that, like you got to take some, you got to take a jacket because it's cold out there this time of year. It's cold in the morning, so you know it's not just uh, flip flops and, uh, and and cutoffs or or, jeans or shorts out there. So you got to you got to you know be ready for for the weather. And sometimes there's dust storms too. It's like uh, you know tombstone. It's like you see tumbleweed blowing down the street. So it's kind of interesting. All right. Well. Uh... Hey, uh, I, I wanted to mention here, uh, you had a post yesterday on uh, Jason Kipnis, uh, former now Tribe infielder, uh, longtime Tribe infielder, uh, has, has sort of gone home a little bit and, uh, and signed out a minor league deal with the Chicago Cubs. He's a Northbrook, Illinois native and grew up, uh, you know, a White Sox Cubs fan, and, and now he's got an opportunity to try and make the club uh, out, of, out of spring training there in, in, in Chicago. 
Yeah, I, I was real happy for Kip. He was, you know, it's the free agent market doesn't treat, uh, you know, veterans in his uh, in his service group very well right now in the last two or three years. So he had to wait a while. You know, he minor league deal. He's going to camp. If he makes a club, he gets a million plus incentives. And just from reading, I, I don't know, you know, really the uh, the outlook on him making the club, but it sounds like he's got a chance, you know. So I think he had some offers from Oakland and uh, maybe the White Sox as well. But uh, he took the Cubs, and uh, it's interesting. He hit that home run against the Cubs in, in the World Series at Wrigley. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, hopefully he makes that club and he enjoys it. You know, he, he enjoys going home and, and playing, playing in his own backyard, so to speak. Well, if uh, if Kipnis makes the uh, makes the club, we'll have to have Jordan Bastian from MLB.com uh, join us on a future podcast and, and talk about just uh, you know uh, the excitement of, of of being able to cover him again because I know Jordan was a a big fan of of Jason in the clubhouse and and he was a really good guy to to deal with and talk to uh, you know he never never ducked an interview and never never made you feel uh, you know silly for asking a question he was a good guy and and. You know, we'll miss that around the uh, the Indians clubhouse for sure. Yeah, definitely a stand-up guy. And Tyler Olson's there too. So uh, Jordan will have a familiar face, a couple familiar faces there. Wow, there you go. Well, you know, the only way that the uh, the Indians would have a chance of uh, of facing Kipnis or Olson if they make the club uh, in Chicago would be in the in the playoffs. And uh, you, you know, mentioning the playoffs this week, the the commissioner's office. I guess it was a, a leak. I guess it was a, a story that was, was published in the New York Times. Joel Sherman had it uh, that that sort of detailed this proposal, this plan by Commissioner Rob Manfred to expand the playoffs, include two more wild card teams in in every division, and and have some sort of made for TV draft that would allow the uh, the the teams with the best records, uh, which you know presumably presumably would be the Yankees and Dodgers this year just to sort of sit there and pick their opponents. Uh, some of the, some parts of this plan sound utterly ridiculous. Some of them sound, you know, maybe feasible or workable. Uh, there have been strong reactions on both sides. What was your immediate take? Uh, I thought my immediate take, Joe, was this is perfect for the Indians. <laughs> They've been doing this for 10 years. They could, uh, you know, under the, under this system, the Indians would have qualified last year, um, which would have made four straight postseason trips. Um, they, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. They increase, uh, the, uh, postseason teams from 10 to 14, which is almost half of the 30 teams, obviously. Uh, there's, there's three division winners and four wild cards. Uh, the division winner with the, uh, top record in each league would advance to the NLDS. And then the two division winners and the top wild card winner would get their choice of playing, you know, the, uh, the bottom three wildcard teams and, uh, you know, in, in a best of three series, which, w- which, you know, would be played exclusively at the, at the, uh, you know, the top teams, those top, those top three teams field. So, right. So they eliminate the one game wildcard playoffs. Right. And, uh, they, they think they could play them all, all three games in, uh, you know, in three days, you know, because there would be no travel. So it's kind of interesting. I, and, you know, the thing I like about it, Joe, is that it gives, you know, not only does it expand the wild card, uh, the playoff field, but it, it, it gives teams, you know, t- a team doesn't have to have a uh, 
two hundred million dollar payroll to make the to make the postseason. They have to, you know, they they have to be, you know, they have to put a good roster together and and a, a competitive roster together, and then they have to add to it, you know, with good decisions at the at the trading deadline. And I think that just fits the Indians' profile to me. And and the other problem that it does address is the tanking problem. You're not going to see teams. Yeah. You know, it, it, we've talked about, you know, should they institute a, a salary floor as, a, as opposed to a salary cap to prevent uh, teams like a, like a Pittsburgh from having a, a $35, $40 million payroll. Uh, that, that sort of problem goes away if even with a $40 million payroll, Pittsburgh can, can sort of sniff being in contention later in the season. Yeah, you know, like last year, Boston would have been the seventh, seventh, uh, content, you know, seventh postseason. You know, would have reached would have been seventeen to reach a postseason, and they only won eighty four games last year. So that puts it within reach of you know the low to you know the small the mid market teams. There's if if you're sitting there thinking, hey, you know, if I'm you know if I'm five a five game a hot streak away a five game winning streak away from. Uh, from from you know making a move and 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 getting getting in contention you know by uh, the just before the July thirty first deadline then maybe you make that move and uh, you know it, it it's and I think it would like you said it would you know teams wouldn't necessarily go the tanking route you know where they got it where they take it on the chin for four or five years you know they they cut payroll. You know, just to collect high draft picks and and save their revenue sharing money and and for a breakout year this time this way they could stay in contention and that's the Indians' philosophy. Don't take it down to the floorboards, but uh, just continue to put a competitive team on the field as, as every year and take your chances. So we'll see. See, they're they're legislating away tanking. They're they're taking away all of. Uh the the Astros plans right all the the great schemes that are instituted by the Astros that everything that won them a world championship they're taking it all away because the, the right. Astros yeah. were the ones that perfected tanking in the first place uh, that's exactly right now where is the pushback going to be on this where is it, it's going to come from the players obviously uh, you know you've got to get this approved not only by the thirty clubs but yeah. the players association and and you're gonna you want to institute this by twenty twenty two you know, and that coincidentally is when the CBA comes up. Uh, yeah, the, the CBA would – they would have to negotiate. The, they negotiate it into the CBA because the CBA uh, – the current CBA ends at the end of the 2021 season. Right. So, you know, this would be part of 2022. You know, this this would be negotiated at the end of next year. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so, like, obviously the, the players are going to want something if that's the – yeah, but I think I think the players would like this, Joe. I think you know they don't like tanking. You know, uh, um, they they've been a, they've been against it. Uh, you know, for a long time, they they think it kills the market. That right, you know, it right. But the, the way down. the but wait, the way the players want you know you to prevent tanking is by spending more money on yeah. better players. Yeah, That's, well, this is I okay. think this was they, they, this is no this is gonna this makes the players work more. This is adds more games and. Yeah, they're going to push back that way. They, they, well, maybe I don't know how many more games. Like, if you know, yeah, you have to be, it, it's more games. But then maybe. you've also got the situation where you're going to have the best team in each division, each league, sitting there for five or six days waiting for the for their next opponent to be sorted out. Yeah, so but they could use that time to get you know that. I mean, how you know the 
the wild card games what were the first three or four days of the after the right post? it would be it would be in that space where they have built in for the uh the tiebreaker games yeah. so that, that like that Monday or that Tuesday was so I think that would give the, the division winner with the best record time to get their their, their their rotation set you know they could rest some guys up it wouldn't be like a week it wouldn't be like 10 days it, it could be it could be four five six days before you know who you're playing and where you're playing depending yeah. so but, i mean you would have home field too that team, right, right right but you know it, it, it you're basically taking that first place team you're you you've won an advantage there you're the first place team you you should get you know to to play your game first and 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 you know, be ready to go roll right into the season or right into the postseason, and you're putting them on ice. And this is a game where, you know, these guys have have rhythms and routines, and you're breaking all that. Yeah, I guess you know that would be that would be one thing. I I I don't think. I mean, if you play it what day you season ends, you get one day off, then you play three games, right? Well. I mean, if, Depending. But they, not that first place team. They're waiting. They're waiting to see who their opponent is. Yeah. So what do you? They're sitting there and waiting four games, five games, five days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that would. Well, I, I mean, that's great if if they come out in 2022 and this happens, and the Yankees or the Red Sox or whoever is is in that that driver's seat, that top spot, and they lose the opening game of the DS. <laughs> you'll you'll yeah. see you'll see it changed. Pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it might be. <laughs> That's for sure. It could be, yeah. But I kind of just like this idea. I, I, I hate, I hate the, the one game, you know, that one game wild card where a team like, you know, it just reminds me of 2013. The Indians won. They had to win their last 10 games of the regular season just mm-hmm. to get to the wild card. And then, bang, they lose to Tampa Bay 4 nothing, and it's over. It was like that great run. Where does it leave you, you know? So – and people have always pushed that it should be at least a best of three, and now they got the best of three. So I don't know. It it, it we'll see how it works out. Uh, you know, uh, put a percentage on it. Likelihood that this that this gets approved and, and goes through, and in twenty twenty two we're looking at a fourteen team playoff field. Oh boy, I'd say sixty percent. Okay. I might go a little less than 60%, you know, just knowing that the proposal is out there and that, you know, once these things have been thought through like this from the commissioner's office side of things, they generally tend to happen. So uh, I'd say maybe a little less because you've still got to get it past the players. And I don't think, I don't think the players are going to be hugely in favor of it. Uh, All right. uh, Let's, uh, let's dive into some questions. I know we got some reader questions from you. Okay. All right. Uh, this is from uh, Greg Benedito from uh, Cleveland Heights. Goes, hey, Hoinsey, after reading A.J. Hinch's comments regarding his role in the sign-stealing scandal, that he should have done more to stop it, it brings up this question. What would Tito, what would Tito Francona have done? Um, if so, his, you know, what, what do you think – how do you think, uh, you know, Francona would have handled this situation? If his players had devised a scheme like that and he was unaware and then found out about it, uh, I, there's, there's no way Tito would have, would have let that stand. I, I, I don't think. Yeah, I uh, think you're exactly right, Joe. I think uh, this is a, a managerial failing on Hinch's part. 
you know, I mean, I know Carlos Beltran was, you know, really a respected player in that locker room and Houston's locker room and him, him and uh, Alex Cora pulled a lot of sway, but Hinch is a manager and uh, you can't just, and he, he admitted he knew it was wrong and he didn't do anything to stop it because what he was afraid of Carlos Beltran. He was afraid that he'd lose the clubhouse. Yeah, there's no one. There's no one player in the Indians clubhouse who, who has influence more than than Terry Francona does. So no, that's and that's the way it should be. And no, there's no way Terry Francona lets that go. Uh, and, you know, it's not like you know, it's not like uh, Francona didn't bring in players like like Beltran. You know, Giambi in his first couple of years. You know, a, a, re, a player that had a lot of street cred in in the locker room, and uh, he still it was there was no doubt who was running the ball club. Well, you know, Hinch, so I think that was Hinch purportedly smashed a monitor a couple of times. Could you imagine if Giambi found out something like this was going on in his clubhouse, what Giambi would have smashed? Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, I mean, and you can't, you know, if, if you don't want it to go on, it's your ball club and you're, you're the one that's going to be left hanging. And, you know, I, I always thought, Joe, I always thought that yeah, Hinch would get another job after this. And I, now I'm not so sure if anybody will ever hire him. Well, that's a good point. I mean, we all sort of watched that interview and we're sort of waiting there for him to, to, to sort of detail what, what happened. I, I personally, I want to know specifics of, you know, when and what, what the point to a game in 2017 that they specifically won because of this, this scheme. and, and, you know, it, obviously they, they've been coached by their, their PR guys about, you know, what to say and what not to say. So, yeah, I, I don't think uh, any, any of the, the apologies that we've heard so far, and we'll get into that in a little bit, uh, have, have been, you know, at least full apologies yet. I, I think they're still sort of holding stuff back, and it, it really does bother me. Uh, let, let's move on to another question before I get too worked up. <laughs> and we'll come back to the Astros in a minute. Okay. Um, this is Jim Eversall from Kelman, Alabama. He goes, hey, Hoisey, do you think Francona will try Lindor at the number three spot in the batting order this spring and have Hernandez bat first? Hernandez's lifetime on base percentage is 352 versus 347 by Lindor. Mercado at two and Lindor, Ramirez. So you could have uh, Hernandez, Mercado at second, Lindor at three, third, followed by Ramirez, 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 Ramirez Carlos Santana, Reyes, Perez, uh, and Perez. That lengthens, lengthens the lineup and gives Lindor a chance to knock in more runs. What do you think? I don't think that they're going to have Jose Ramirez batting fourth, but, you know, that's – that yeah, I think uh, if if Carlos Santana continues to hit the way that he did, uh, you know, out, out of last season, I think he's he's your he's your three hitter, right? He, yeah, he's got to be. So, yeah. so I you're talking about a guy with a, a high on base percentage in in uh, Cesar mm -hmm. Hernandez. Uh, I think you leave Lindor. Francona's argument for for Lindor being at the top of the lineup is, you know, hey, I'll move him if you give me a better option for us as the leadoff hitter. I don't necessarily think Hernandez, you know, you're talking five points on the, uh, on the on-base percentage. I don't yeah. necessarily think that makes him a better option uh, as, as the leadoff hitter there. So I think they leave Lindor at the top. 
I think Hernandez bats second. I think you you can drop Mercado all the way down to you know six, seven, eight, uh, somewhere down there, and that doesn't hurt him at all. Uh, you know, possibly Ramirez five, and like you said, uh, Framel Reyes either five or six. So, yeah, I like Lindor in the uh, in the number one spot, like you were saying, Joe. Just because you know he's got he's got the power, he can start a game with a home run, and you're up one nothing. You know, two or three pitches into a game, I think that means a lot to a pitcher. Um, and you know, like you said, when you're bringing, you know, if somebody in the bottom of the lineup is getting on base and he's coming up, he's got a chance to drive him in. So, you know, I know that's Francona's philosophy, and uh, I can't see him changing that. But who knows? Maybe, maybe he does. If this offense struggles, you know, they were what two years ago they were third in in runs scored. Last year they were seventh in the American League. He might have to shake things up if, if they start slowly. Right. I mean, the only thing would be, you know, bunching all of your, your switch hitters at the top of the lineup like that. I, I know he likes to, to sort of space them out. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but I could see, you know, Lindor, Hernandez, Santana, Reyes, Ramirez, Mercado, Perez, uh, you know, and then whoever else, even even if you've got like a Bowers or somebody in there playing left, uh, maybe move him up a little bit, but and, and drop Perez down. But that that I think is is basically just off the top of my head your your strongest lineup. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Uh, this is from David from Cambridge. Hey Hoynesy, we know the Astros and others were cheating and stealing signs, and and the results. Were t- and all their results were tainted, and baseball's integrity is in shambles. But what about how they cheated in their pitching, as Trevor Bauer noted? Their spin rates and, and, and results increased inex- in inexplicable, inexplicable ways. Is that, is that cheating okay with MLB? MLB doesn't care about clean, honest results and just with appearances? Well, I, I, ironically enough, uh, in, uh, today on the Players' Tribune, uh, Trevor Bauer addressed exactly that situation. He he started by saying, you know, hey, I wish I wasn't right about this. I knew that the Astros were cheating, and I said something about it, and I got I got slammed for it. You know, Trevor Bauer came out in 2018 and talked about the sticky substances and talked about the spin rates and how he's been chasing, you know, the idea of increasing the spin rate on his fastball, uh, you know, through through legal means, through techniques and and, you know, coaching and training and all that. Uh, and then you turn around and Garrett Cole goes from uh, the Pirates to the, to the Astros and hit the spin rate on his fastball goes from, uh, you know, 2,200 RPMs or rotations per whatever and up to 26, this exponential jump. And he becomes this dominant pitcher and the highest paid pitcher in the league. And, and now, uh, you know, th- that issue hasn't been addressed. Because it turns out, while Trevor's talking about spin rate and whatnot, that the Astros cheating scandals or the the sign stealing scandal is still going on. And when Mike Fires, you know, tells the world about that on the Athletic, then you know all hell breaks loose. Uh, Bauer says that the that Major League Baseball still hasn't addressed that sticky substances issue. That he thinks up to seventy percent of pitchers in the league are using some sort of illegal substance and that nothing is going to be done about it, just like steroids, until something like this happens. 
until a whistleblower like Fires comes out and says, yeah, I was on the Astros and everyone on that staff used, uh, you know, pine tar or some other substance to, to make the, the grip on their fastball better. And, and that's why their, their pitchers are so effective. So, yeah, I mean, and yeah, and I think Bowers is right. I think, you know, 70% of pitchers on every team use it, you know, especially in cold weather when they can't get a grip on a baseball and uh, it, it gives them better control. And, and I think, you know, the hitters are glad they do that because they don't want to take one in the head. If a, if a guy's wild and it's, you know, 32 degrees out and, and Detroit is playing Cleveland at progressive field, uh, you know, so I think, you know, while it, 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 it is cheating, you, you, you are putting a foreign substance on a ball, I think baseball has bigger issues. Right. But uh, I guess to Bauer's point, if you're going to let them do that, then you've got to basically let everybody do it. And you, you, shouldn't have, you shouldn't have to be deceptive about it or, you know, whatever. You, they should be able to put whatever they want on the ball and, and then go from there. Uh, I, I kind of agree tend to agree with that you can either do that or you can go the other way and say look that's it we're going to police it yeah and yeah, I, I think you know everybody had, they always have different ways to do it you know unless as long as you're not like michael pineda and have it you know slathered across your neck you right know, where, where everybody in the in the ballpark can see it when he was with the yankees i mean i think you know you know if 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 it's if it's happening during early in the season or late in the season, you know I, I don't know. I I guess you know it it is cheating to a, to that degree, but you know it does. I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting point, and maybe maybe they have to. Maybe Bauer's right. You've got to either what you can't you can't have that gray area. There's too much gray area in baseball, anyways. Either either it's black or white. Yeah, why is it okay for a team in a cold weather city to do it, and a team in a, a warmer city or or an indoor park, you know, can't do it, and uh, you know they have to cheat, they have to disguise it or something like that. I I don't think, uh, like you said, it's not the most pressing issue in in baseball, but uh, it, it's certainly something that you know the Garrett Cole example is the perfect example. This guy was a he was a good pitcher in Pittsburgh. He went to Houston, and they made him a dominant pitcher by doing that. Yeah. And it's it it's provable by science because of Statcast. You can you can see the marked difference in his spin rate went from Pittsburgh to Houston once he started doing it. So, you know, uh, do they I, have I, better pine tower in Houston? Yeah, than I guess. Like I guess, but better a know. better mixture. But you know he's making three hundred million dollars now because yeah. hey. he did this. So uh, Bauer's got a point. Bauer's point isn't, you know, hey, I want to be making that three hundred million dollars because we already know that Bauer doesn't, you know, want to sign a ten-year contract or anything like that. But to the point that the three hundred million dollars that Garrett Cole is making was made on basically, you know, skirting the rules. I, 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 I while other guys aren't doing it, and. Yeah, but that doesn't help you throw 100 miles an hour either. No. 100 miles an hour. No, but when you're throwing 100 miles an hour with a higher spin rate, it makes your pitches harder to hit. So, yeah, yeah it's cheating. Yeah. But And then you've got the uh, – uh, the name escapes me, but the, the minor league pitcher who is now suing the Astros. Oh, yeah. Uh, because he got basically – He got hammered. For career, his career was ruined. Right? 
He was demoted to the minors because uh, – He had to go to Japan. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, I mean, and there's probably a thousand of those stories that, that could come out over the course of the next year about how this, this Astros cheating scandal – yeah, if this lawsuit gets any traction, you know they're they're going to be coming out of the woodwork. Oh man! Oh, anybody who pitched against the Astros, yeah, and got hammered, sent down the next day, is <laughs> is going to be, be looking for their payday. Totally awesome. Uh, yeah. So so that uh, that Bauer reaction piece, uh, I have a, a post on it uh, on Cleveland.com. Uh, you can read it there. You can find the link. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a really good read. You know, to to Bauer's credit, he goes into it and says, "I wish I wasn't right about it." Uh, and he, he, he details even to the point about why he spoke out in the first place, you know, in his, in his upbringing about how he was such a loner and he didn't have any friends, but he always, you know, wanted to do the right thing and say the right thing. So, but didn't he experiment? He said he experimented. I remember he, he experimented said, with pine tar and he never would say if he did it in a game or not. Well, no. So the story goes that he indicated basically that he did it once for one inning in a game to see if there'd be a difference and see there, if there would be an uptick on the stats, and there was. He says that the, there, the proof is in the pudding, he said, basically. And then, you know, he went back to not doing it. So, because he, he, he said for, for the last 12 years, he's been chasing spin rate. That exact problem was, was what he's been trying. He's been trying to increase the rate of spin on his fastball, and he says that the only way to do it, the way that the Astros pitchers have done it, is by using those illegal substances. So that, another reason why you see the strikeout numbers the way they are, uh, you know, besides the shift. But we'll, we'll talk about that in future weeks. Uh, all right. Uh, we, we've got any more questions? Are we, we good off of uh, – Yeah, that's it. Uh, I mean, I, I've got a couple more if you want them, but I – Oh, no, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to play a game here. We're going to play a little <laughs> bit of, uh, of uh, would you rather, Hoinsey. Uh, so uh, you got to pick one or the other. All right. You pick one, one or the other. Uh, would you rather? Uh, would you rather be Alex Bregman or Jose Altuve standing in for the first pitch against Mike Clevenger for the first time this uh, this upcoming season, uh, and, and and you sort of know it's coming, or would you rather just walk up to Yasiel Puig and punch him in the face and see what happens? <laughs> I, you got to pick one. I, I think I've got to I've got to go with Altuve. He bats leadoff, right? Right. Uh, no, no. Yeah, I've got it. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it over with, or maybe Springer bats leadoff. Springer bats leadoff. So he's, yeah. Uh, so second. I've got to. Uh, but I Altuve, if he's hitting second, I want either whoever hits first, Bregman or or, or Altuve. It's it's uh it's Springer. Springer's oh, our leadoff. Springer, hitter. and then who hits her first be, behind uh, Springer? Is it Altuve? Springer? I think it's Springer, Altuve, probably Brantley after that. Yeah, I'll, I'll go Altuve because I'll get it over with fast. And I know I can – I might be able to duck a, uh, a you know, a 95-mile-an-hour fastball from Clevenger, but I know I'm not going to be able to outrun Puig if I punch him in the face. You know, uh, Puig is so such a weird guy. He, he, might, he might lick you like he licks a bat instead of, <laughs> instead of punching you. So, who knows? And yeah, Altuve couldn't probably couldn't even punch, reach him to punch him in the no, nose. He'd have, to, he'd have to be standing on a ladder. Uh, Puig had punched down. Uh, it, it, funny, we mentioned Puig. Uh, we're hearing rumblings of him getting closer to signing in Tampa. Is that uh, is that what you're yeah, you saw? Tampa? Yeah, yeah. He's been on that radar, and I guess you know, with the Indians going after Santana, that kind of you know eliminates Puig from coming back here. 
Well, so, you know, when we hear things like, well, maybe uh, Terry Francona isn't the biggest Puig fan, uh, maybe that's maybe that's not 100% inaccurate. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. Um, any other would-you-rathers? Uh, would you rather uh, eat Panda Express in Goodyear, Arizona every day for a week or uh, eat Taco Bell in Cleveland every night uh, for a week after a home game, a uh, home series against uh, the, uh, the Astros. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Panda in, in Goodyear. I had a bad experience with uh, Had a bad experience with Taco, Taco Bell. Uh, you and everybody else listening to this podcast has had a bad experience with Taco Bell Hoynes. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, the, the Panda Express in Goodyear, Arizona, uh, about to see one of its favorite customers return in Mandy Bell from MLB.com. Uh, she's out there right now, and I know that the uh, the folks who work there know her by name. Uh, she stayed <laughs> there uh, some somewhere north of of twenty times last year during spring training. Uh, you know, when when you're out there at spring training, you get two weeks out there. What uh, what are your 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 most your favorite places to to eat? What, what do you eat the most when you're out there? I go to uh, there's a, a taco stand, uh, a fish taco place. Then I go there. I, I like the fish tacos. And okay, then wait a minute. To- wait a minute. You don't do Taco Bell, but you'll do fish tacos from yeah, yeah. Desert Southern. Okay. All right. Go ahead, yeah. Paul. Rubio's. Ahead. Rubio's fish tacos. Rubio's fish tacos. And okay. Then, and there's a, a Mexican place. Uh, God, roses something. Uh, but I, I go there, too. So yeah. I, I, you're, you're ruining this for me. I'm just imagining you getting, like, truck stop egg salad sandwiches on on the way back to your hotel room at like two in the morning. So this is, this is how I picture, uh, you know, spring training with Paul Hoynes. I, I, you know, not, not stopping ahead of time to, to, you know, plan out anything like a Chipotle or anything like that. It's just the, you know, gas, uh, gas station, egg salad sandwiches, something, (laughs) something really not thought out uh, ahead of time, uh, would be, would be it. All right. Uh, yeah, well, okay. You know, would you rather? We'll we'll, we'll develop this one uh, as we yeah, move forward yeah. as a as a thing here. Um, we we've got uh, uh, another crack at this uh, coming up. We'll, we'll let's see. You'll be in Arizona on Sunday. Yes. And so we'll do podcasts probably Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, oh, okay. uh, yeah, Thursday yeah. Uh, in the evenings. Those will be up. You know, shorter. You know, twenty to thirty minute podcasts just to to sort of recap the day and reset. And then we'll look ahead to each uh, each day while you're out there. Uh, so expect a lot more content here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast moving forward in the next week uh, as as we get more into Cactus League play. As the uh, the pitchers are there, the hitters are going to be joining them shortly, and then and we'll send Paul out to cover it all here uh, next week. Paul, good to talk to you again, and, and we'll see you again next week on the uh, the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, Joe. Thanks, man.